Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 10 of the Masterclass. It took me a little longer to say this time because I'm not looking at just one other person in the room today. That's right. <laughs> there is a third person in the room. I'm not going to tell you who it is for a while, just to build up the suspense. It could be C.S. Lewis. It could be Barack Obama. Or it could be someone else a little closer to home. We'll find out later. Dave, how are you today? I'm doing great. Yes. Well, the I'm possibilities okay. are endless. Yes. I I'm, I'm, wish I had a better list of people to make up than what I just said. <laughs> Nothing against those folks, but one of them's dead. So it would be a little, <laughs> little tough to... Yes. Maybe it's Joel Osteen. <laughs> I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. <laughs> no. Although his smile would fill up this room, that's for sure. Anyhow, this is episode 10. We're here again. I feel like we should tell them who's in the other room. Or in, in the room. other room. <laughs> We're not going to allow them in yeah. here with us. No, they're Skyping in from next door. <laughs> no, uh, oh, sh you're laughing. You're giving it away. See? It's either a girl or a boy with a really high-pitched laugh. We're not... No, I'm kidding. All right, it's my sister. She's here. <laughs> Rachel, say hi. Hi, everyone. Uh, she is a senior in college at Taylor University, my alma mater. And she actually has the same major that I did. That, yeah, that's true. But it had nothing to do with you. Because when I came in, I wasn't that major. Well, neither was I, so you're just following in my footsteps exactly. <laughs> what is the major, though, Rachel? You forgot that important Oh, part. sorry. It's biblical studies. Yes. Not biblical literature, are you sure? I don't actually remember it. All right, Taylor University, folks. <laughs> Glowing endorsement. <laughs> Anyhow, she's visiting us on uh, spring break, like the good, young, responsible adult that she is. So we thought we'd invite her on just to get to get a younger voice, to get a female voice, uh, and to get a different perspective. So that's that. I think that's... Everyone's looking at me really uncomfortable right now. So we're just going to go <laughs> into the next section. And uh, we have well, a second surprise today. First surprise was obviously my sister. The second surprise is that we're going to give away something that we think is pretty cool. That's right. We're going to give away a book. It's really groundbreaking, isn't it, Dave, to give That's, away a book? Yes. No one's ever done this before. Probably not. Especially not for the reasons we're doing it either. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the deal. We are going to give away a book that we have talked about a lot on this podcast. Uh, we even wrote a decently in-depth book review about it on the blog as well it's called living in christ's presence by dallas willard and john ortberg uh we will be giving away either the hard copy or what we recommend is the audio version on audible um because you get to hear john and dallas actually it's not someone else reading their audiobook the, the book itself was the written down um What's the word I'm looking for? It's a uh, transcript. Transcript of this conference that John and Dallas put on. So the audiobook is the way to go because it's the actual audio from the conference. It's super, super good. Dave, why should they want this book? Oh, man. So many different reasons. Uh, one, it uh, really takes a look at what uh, pursuing uh, Jesus, living a life uh, for him is all about. And it comes from two uh, very educated wise men that are both uh, incredibly humble at the same time which is a rarity uh, one of the reasons that I like the audio so much was 
Uh, one, you get to hear um, Dallas Willard's just passion, his love uh, for God, for our Creator. And then two, this is this is not a book that they sat down and spent months writing. And so, like, they're coming, people are asking questions from the audience, and Ortberg is asking things, and Dallas Willard, Willard just always has an answer uh, for everything. It's incredibly frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> There's one part, I just listened to it on the way home. Um, this is what we were listening to in the car. Now it all makes sense. See? <laughs> um, and there's one part where uh, they're talking about work and play. And you know, he's like, well, what is work? Well, work is um, the, the, the creation of things that have value. And he's like, all right, well, what is play? Well, play is the creation of things that have value that aren't necessary. And, like, doesn't miss a beat. And then just stops. And you hear John Ortberg laugh. And he goes, just once. I'm just waiting for the one time where you say, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, like, hours into the audiobook. He just constantly throws out concepts or words. And Dallas always has a definition that you just go, that's perfect. And he just rattles them off. Um, and, and Ortberg's reaction was priceless. Yes. The whole audience cracks up. So uh, it's well worth your time. Rachel, of the hour that you listened to it did you enjoy it i did even though you had no idea who it was no i had no idea who it was and i didn't know the context i enjoyed what they had to say well she's a smart lady you should listen to her so anyhow (laughs) here's how you can win said book right now you're listening to episode 10 chances are you're probably listening to it on your computer or your phone if you're listening to it another way that's kind of weird. Yes. I don't know. I mean, you're probably my wife outside the door right now eavesdropping on us. Uh, but that means you're on a device that's connected to the internet most likely. So what you need to do in order to enter to win this great book is send out a tweet with a link to the episode 10 page, which can be found at Rachel. I'm sorry. I just kidding. Listening. No, you wouldn't know anyways. I just, sorry. Older brother in me never dies. Uh, masterclassfm.com slash masterclass slash 10. That's one zero, folks. Two digits now. It's getting real. Uh, so send out a tweet with a link to that page, and then make sure that you include at masterclass somewhere in the tweet so that we can track it and count your entry. I mean, if you just want to send out a bunch of tweets that link to our website without that that's cool that's great but if you want to get an entry into the contest or the giveaway you need to make sure that it says at masterclass fm somewhere in the tweet so that we can track it if you want to get a second that's two guys that's twice as many chances to win you can go on facebook find us at masterclass fm and click the like button and that will get you two entries and we will reveal live on the air next week in episode 11 <laughs> who won this great book and then we will get it delivered to you in your preferred medium sound like a good idea guys sounds like a great idea, great idea. oh man this is good i gotta <laughs> ask some more questions so that's i think that's all the fun stuff do we have any follow-up or anything that we want to talk about from last episode before we dive into you know the really easy topic we have tonight <laughs> uh no i don't have any follow-up all right well, Rachel, since you're new and you're our guest, would you do us the honors of reading the text and give Dave a break? Absolutely. So this text is Matthew 5, 43 through 48. 
You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. All right, easy enough, right? Sure. Nothing. That's the podcast, guys. <laughs> Nothing to cover. <laughs> Nothing complicated. All right, so I guess let's start from the beginning. Dave, what does it mean to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? Hmm. That's a good question. Well, that's why I wrote it. Oh, gotcha. Um, I you know I think it is one taking time to think about uh, who your enemy is, which I don't know that we naturally think about that. Like identify somebody as an enemy, um, and so that would be I think the first thing would be identifying who our enemies are, and I'm guessing. I'm in my head, I'm kind of contemplating that that enemies may be different than what we think of and we immediately hear that word. How so? I don't know. Um, I think when we think of an enemy, uh, we think of somebody who is evil and does bad things and is not like us at all. And I would venture to guess that our enemies are probably a lot more like us than what we think. Now, it's if you want to throw something out there like ISIS or a terrorist or something like that, that's probably what people think of when they think of enemies. And I definitely think that that is included in this, and we can flesh that out a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll say it this way. Uh, I run... The people that I hang out with are generally conservative. That's <laughs> that's a geographical hazard. Yes, <laughs> living in Kansas. Geographical ha- Kansas ha- hazard of Kansas, and then also Johnson. hanging out. Well, hanging out with cops. Cops oh, are pretty conservative really? too. I would not have guessed that. Yeah, and I'm not going to say it's everybody, but in general. And so um, I find it incredibly interesting uh, the way one of our one of those, one of the potential guests that you listed there, the way they all, they would refer to President Obama, um, is and this is I'm I'm just throwing this out there. I'm I'm kind of that uh, they will badmouth him all day long. They will label him as somebody that is anti-American, anti-Christian, uh, out you know. Th- all kinds of labels get thrust upon him because of his politics and being a liberal. And yet, if that same person, Obama, who just I'm using as our, our target here, um, were somebody that they might encounter, you know, he's their waiter at a restaurant or somebody you serve at a food kitchen or maybe even somebody you work with, might be a whole lot more tolerant of him. And I know that's kind of a taboo word as well these days being tolerant of somebody but 
I think it's so that's where I I think we can create these enemies, create these sort of people that are actually probably not that different from us, but giving a certain context of of um, being the president and being a Democrat, and I'm a conservative Republican. I I start instead of praying for him and wanting to have compassion for him, I suddenly start labeling him and attacking him and probably even putting unfair um, labels and, and things on him. So I don't know. And then I, and I think for that matter, I think there's probably those people that we come in contact on a daily basis that maybe we do that too. And we don't realize that we do it. So I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I would agree that I think enemy is, is a, uh, it's almost like an ancient term, you know, like I know a lot in sports, it's usually like the other team is your enemy. Mm -hmm. It's like, not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> uh, but like, you know, when I think of the term enemy, I'm thinking of like war or combat or, yes. um, someone's coming after my family, but it has this, this connotation of violence, uh, life or death, um, drastic situation I don't think of my enemy as uh, a conservative yuppie know-it-all like <laughs> you know uh, um, so I, I think yeah when when you know we're reading this and, and you know and obviously to me it brings up the story of the Good Samaritan and, and who is your neighbor mm -hmm. and and your enemy is not always it's it most certainly is ISIS and, and terrorist groups, but it is also your neighbor who is antagonistic or what you know, for whatever reason. Be it religious, political, your dog pees in their yard, like the 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 definition or scope of the term enemy is not solely reliant upon a combat situation no. um, and I think especially in the suburbs and I guess this is just true of all people I think is that there is a lot of um, gossip and uh, slander and stuff that goes on much like you said about you know towards President Obama um but that also happens about your neighbor or about your neighbor's kid or are they yes. having an affair? I can't believe, you know, like all that sort of stuff is like, I think very applicable to how we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Like if we, if we are the person being gossiped about on the block, then it's our job to pray for the people that are gossiping about us, which is not your first reaction. Your first reaction is to walk over there and like dog poop on fire on their porch. Clearly. Yeah. I mean, clearly that's your first reaction. Um, but Rachel, I'm going to pose the question to you. Um, yeah, I agree with what both of you have said. And I think enemy has, the word enemy has a very different, um, there's a very different interpretation of that word now. Um, where it's like, it is terrorists and ISIS and very like, public enemies like that but it's also the people for me like the people at school that I don't like 
that are shockingly similar to me, and I don't like what I see in them that I know I have in myself, so I make them my enemy. I, like, make them almost less of a person in my eyes because I don't want to deal with what I see in them in me. Um, so I think, and in that situation, my first instinct is to not pray for them and how they're acting. It's to badmouth them or to get my friends on my side of the argument. Um, but yeah, I agree with what both of you have said about who the enemy actually is and the importance of thinking about who it actually is and identifying that. So what does it mean then to say that we're supposed to love our enemies? Because that seems like a loaded sentence to me. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I feel <laughs> that way about it. But you know, now that we kind of have an agreed-upon definition or scope of the term enemy, when Christ says that we need to love our enemies and pray for them, what, is, what does that mean? What does that look like? I think it's exactly that. I think it's you're to love them and you're to pray for them. And it's, I, you know, in my mind, I, I want to uh, be like, okay, well, I was nice to them or I put up with them or, you know, uh, let's take road rage, for instance. That could be a potential enemy for, for me is I find it's a victory if I don't flip them off or cut <laughs> them off or whatever it might be. But it's, that's really not enough. It's to truly love that person. And that is, I, I, I'm not so sure I do this. <laughs> this is not, I don't think I'm there on this one. And again, I, I don't think I've spent a whole lot of time thinking about it. That's why when you say, you know, love your enemy, it's kind of like, well, who's my enemy? And then I start thinking about my behavior towards other human beings. And then I can kind of start going, okay. I certainly do not express love towards this person, and I probably should be doing that. And I don't, I don't even know if I know exactly what that looks like. I mean, uh, I, I can, you know, it's it's such a okay. I'm going to think nice thoughts about this person, and I'm going to wish them well, and I might even pray for them. But do I really love them? I don't think I do. I mean, so, but that's exactly what we're being told, and I think that's, I think this is a very yeah, you love them. <laughs> Not just think nice thoughts about them. So I don't, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know how you get there. I, I, I really don't. Will you just be perfect, Dave? <laughs> like God in heaven is perfect. Isn't that the way this verse finishes up? Exactly. That's exactly how it finishes up. If only it were that easy. All right, so let's, let's extrapolate this from beyond the cul-de-sac. And take it to um, something that we are all unfortunately too familiar with is this this idea of terrorism and you know there's some people and you know it's the most active you know terrorist age that we're aware of as far as the U.S. is concerned. Yes, um, the Mongols had their ways, <laughs> um, but how does this? Um, and I almost said sentiment, and that is not accurate whatsoever. How is this teaching and um, imperative that Christ gives us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us? Okay, so ISIS has never captured me. I have never been even remotely close to a situation like that. Does that make ISIS my enemy just because I'm an American? And they, they have not captured any of my family or any of my friends. Nobody that I know 
and frankly, I'm not all that patriotic to begin with. Um, I'm just not. I never have been. Um, does that, does it, taking all that into account, does that still make it, are they still enemies of mine? I, I mean, I think so, because they're persecuting Christians. I mean, that seems to be one of their targets. And so, whether you're an Egyptian Christian, uh, an American Christian, I, they've definitely singled out Christians for execution. Mm -hmm. And so, I think in that element, yeah, they, they are our enemy. And, and even as you were saying that, I was like... It was kind of just the thought of how much would that change if you did have a family member who was currently being held by, you know, whoever it would be, you know, ISIS or, um, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, the Philippines, the, you know, anywhere that. Yeah, the, all the militias in Central Africa and the Congo and. Yeah. You know, or, or for that, well, I won't go down that road. Um <laughs> So that, so that, you know, so even as you were saying that, it was like, wow, that would even, I mean, that to me would be like the ultimate enemy is somebody that was, that had, that was doing something to someone that I loved. And so even in that, it's like, do I have that compassion for those, those other Christians that are out there in the world who are being persecuted to that degree? Mm -hmm. uh, because I don't, I, I mean, we've, we talk about this all the time <laughs> about living in our fishbowl and not really thinking about, you know, a lot of the, the global impact of things. So, um, yeah, so I don't, um, I don't know. Well, I know what I think. Rachel, what do you think? Uh, what do I think? Um, one, I really like that you said living in this fishbowl and not being aware of global things like this. And one of our professors at school Dr. Matters, actually. I love Dr. Matters. He's a good man. He's a great man. Um, he goes every day at 5 p.m. He goes to our prayer chapel on campus and prays for some other country, some other people group that are that's being persecuted that he's heard about. And a couple days a month in classes, he will... He did this a lot last semester because of ISIS he will get rid of his lecture for that day and we just spend that class time in prayer for this semester, last semester specifically for the ISIS leaders and for the people involved in that and the people captured by ISIS. Um, and we would specifically pray that the leaders would see the problems with what they're doing and they would come to see Christ and that he, Christ would deliver the people that have been captured um, that had not been killed yet and that he would bring comfort to the families of those who had been killed and um, that was those were hard days I did not want to be there <laughs> but um, and when you say you didn't want to be there why didn't you want to be there I just I didn't it made this passage real mm. and I was happy to be praying for the people captured and the families of those that were captured, but I did not want to pray for the ISIS members themselves. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was a long, that was a hard thing for me to work through because I didn't have a legitimate reason for not wanting to do that. Um, yeah. But because of, I guess, 
because they were persecuting Christians and because we are this global network and because of the compassion we had for those other Christians that we'd never met before, we were able to literally pray for our enemies and no idea if it did anything, but we did it. No, yeah, but we're called to do it. Yeah. um, I actually found this article on the Gospel Coalition um, website today entitled Three Ways to Pray for Our Enemies. It was written in August of 2014, so like seven months ago, um, which would have been the very beginning of your fall semester. Dr. Matters probably found it. No. He probably could have wrote it, but... Um, the very first thing he said, uh, this author, which is, um, real quick, uh, Joe Carter. I don't know. He's not the baseball player. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> I'm guessing he's not. <laughs> if so, I'll round third base with him. <laughs> he used to live in Kansas City. Really? The ball player, Joe Carter, yeah. Oh, didn't know that. I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, Sorry, probably, <laughs> it's probably because I was really, really young when, because he was late 80s, right? Yeah, ladies, early 90s. Yeah, you weren't even born I wasn't yet. even born yet. <laughs> Rub it in. <laughs> Anyways, <clears throat> the uh, the first thing that this guy says in the three ways to pray for our enemies is to, one, is the first thing is to pray for their conversion, which, you know, Dr. Matters in your class exemplified there. Um, and the, uh, the uh, author uh, says there are two primary reasons we don't pray for the conversion of Islamic extremists. The first reason is that we. <laughs> We believe uh, it is absurd that they'll become Christians. I mean, the second reason is that we fear they might actually convert. Which I think is totally <laughs> oh, true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because we don't want to get to heaven and be like, are you kidding? Like, now granted, if we're in heaven, I don't think we're going to feel that way. But I think that the thought of it now freaks us out. Like, and it goes to the, the, uh, the parable of... Um, where the vineyard guy is hiring workers and then he pays the workers that came in and did yes. like an hour yeah. of the work the same that did a full day. and they get super mad like why are you paying him the same money I work ten times longer well it, whose money is it it's mine so let me do with my money what I want to do and it's that same concept like I mean the obvious parallel between this and the Bible is Paul I don't I mean it might be too bold to say that Paul was doing similar things to Christians that ISIS is doing. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure it's that much of it. He might not have been beheading them, but he was stoning them to death. Sure. And I'm pretty sure probably burning a few of them. Um, and he was the greatest evangelist to ever really walk the planet. <laughs> you know, and so it's... it it um, Praying for... We never know what God is going to do through the conversion of anybody let alone someone who was so extremely opposed to him in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's almost, it's, it's even, to me, more powerful or compelling to the truth of the gospel when you see someone who was so far from God and doing such atrocious things to come to God, and you're like, okay, the gospel really does have merits, it really does have truth, it really can change people, it really can bring light into the world. Um, and so while it may be frightening, he even uses the example of Hitler. Like, what if Hitler were to have converted before he died? There would be a lot of Jews, you know, Jewish Christians or whatever that would, or frankly, any Christians really would be like, pretty sure he's not allowed in here. 
Yeah. But, you know, there's, we always like to tell, oh, there's no sin that God can't save. and Except for that one. Except for, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, anyways, his first point is that we have to pray for their conversion, whether or not it makes us uncomfortable because we hate them or because we just don't want, like, we, we have the Jonah reflex. I don't want to go to Nineveh because I don't want you to save those people. They don't mm-hmm. deserve it. I don't want to see them. Like, I know, you know, Jonah says, I know that if I go and I preach, they'll they will be they will <laughs> repent and they will be saved. And I don't want that. I want that, you know. And so we get that sort of um, indignant uh, attitude towards, like, I don't care what you want. I don't want that to happen. So I'm going to, you know, <laughs> I, I, you know, hopefully God doesn't put me in a whale for having those thoughts about certain things. But. I mean, the Bible is littered with examples of this exact scenario. Yes. Um, and we could learn a lot just by seeing how God acts in those situations. Um, two, uh, he says, pray the evil they do may be restrained. Um, and he talks about, he says, there's no dichotomy in praying for the good of our enemy and praying other evil actions be restrained. So it, it is to their benefit as well as ours that they be prevented from committing more evil. For those who have hardened their heart against God, it would be better if their life was shortened than for them to continue to persecute his children. Um, the protection of innocence from slaughter may require human governments to take military action against Islamic extremists. We are warned in supporting the just use of force and restraining such evil, but we should remember that while the death of the terrorists may be the only effective way to restrain their actions, we should not rejoice in their suffering or death. Which I thought was a very interesting um, point. That I can pray for their conversion, I can pray that God has mercy on them, I can pray that they would you know, come to know their ways, but at the same time I can say, God, stop this now, like... Send in a black ops team and just save save the Christians that are being persecuted, and that and that's not a contradictory thing, um, which I think is interesting to think about. Um, you know, you can you can pray. Just it, again, I mean, the heart in the heart brings up Pharaoh in my mind. Yeah. You know, Moses was doing everything he could to get Pharaoh to pay attention. God was giving signs to show Pharaoh, look. I'm it, like, you're not, I am. And then the more and more Pharaoh hardened his heart, it just started circling the bowl, you know? And so it's 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 not a, um, he uses the word dichotomy, um, to pray for someone's salvation, but also pray for the swift end of their evil. Which is kind of a heavy thing to think about, really. You know? And the last point is pray that they will receive divine justice. Um, and he quotes Romans. Um, and I don't, oh, and then he has a link to the really, really good article about the imprecatory Psalms where David is saying, Slay this dude. Uh, God, have vengeance upon these people. And all the Psalms that people like C.S. Lewis threw out saying, That's just pure evil and human vengeance. But if you actually read the Psalms, David is defending God's yes. honor in every single one of them. It's not about personal vengeance. It's about God. They are blaspheming your name. They are running your name through the dirt. You need to do what you promised and judge the people that um, go against you. And so he makes the point that, you know, 
we we should not skip the praying of their conversion and praying for their good and just going to God rain down hot fire and brimstone and 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 you know Sodom and Gomorrah them all. Uh, no, we need to we need to pray for their salvation. We need to pray that they would come to the truth. We need to pray that they would repent of their evil and they would change their ways. But we also need to pray that if if they don't convert and if they don't stop, that God would end the evil quickly and His judgment would be true and just on them all, um, which is even heavier than point two. So we'll have a link to that article in the show notes. It's it's really good. <coughs> I don't know. Rachel, what are your initial thoughts on that? Um, Without having read the article whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah. I think the first one is praying for their conversion, in my mind, is the hardest thing to do. Mainly for what you said. I don't want them to be converted. I don't want to see them in heaven. Whoever them is. Um, But I also think praying for God's divine judgment is something that's really easily overlooked when we have so many, we have so much strength in our armed forces and in all of our military that we can just swoop in and serve them justice our way. Well, yeah, and that's the catch is that it's our justice and it's on our terms and we feel good about it and it rarely ever is justice. It's generally revenge. It's more of revenge and yeah, it's just, we overlook the fact that it's our justice and not God's justice. And then it just, God's not in the picture at all, which is never good. Yeah, it's a dark place. Dave, you've been nodding your head a lot. What are you, what are you thinking? <laughs> uh, you know, I guess one of the, the the pictures that's coming to my mind is David and Goliath. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to what some of the points that you made of just, um, for us today in our culture, it has become the little guy triumphing, triumphing over the big guy. And the reality is, is David did what he did because uh, the Philistine was bad-mouthing God and nobody was standing up to him. And he's like, uh, you know, that just, that um, righteous indignation that he had there of just wanting to defend his God Uh and... You know, That's why he got picked as king over all of his bigger, stronger, better-looking brothers. <laughs> and Who says they were better-looking? Kings are good-looking. <laughs> Lawyer. It's, it's, it's just a <laughs> lawyer. <laughs> and so, you know, so just, yeah, that idea of... Um, when I do think about my enemy, it's because I've been wronged. And I want to make right what was done to me or a family member or something like that. And in this instance, it you know, King David or David the shepherd at that time was just so indignant that he, you know, he stood up and he took on the giant. And I think there was even an element of he was probably willing to die in that moment. You know, it was it was sort of this like, I, I'd rather die than stand here and listen to this. Um Maybe deep in his heart he knew he was going to win and God was going to allow him. But I just, I think it was, I'd rather die than listen to this and I'm going to do what I can, you know, and hope God's on my side and let the chips fall where they may. And I just don't, I know I don't do that. I know I don't have a, 
a righteous, it's generally very selfish when I feel like I have to. Um, and then when I feel like I have to whatever with my enemies. And then um, oh, I just lost my thought that I had. Um, oh, I, I think the other thing too is, is I celebrate their demise. I always, I mean, like, I can't think of one time, I mean, I'm sure I haven't, where I was like, oh, that's sad, or that's an awful thing to happen. And you get a little hop in your step. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. And, and again, we like, you know, just that's America. We want, even though we're not the little guy, we have the sense of we want the underdog to win, even though we kind of are not the underdog. <laughs> no, but we always paint ourselves as the underdog. Do we? I don't think so. I mean, we like we like to say like we're the greatest country in the world and we've got the greatest military, but who brags about that? The insecure little punk. <laughs> you know, and, and we act like it, like, oh, you know, we have to continually prove that we're the greatest. We have to continually prove that we're the best and like we're better than China and Russia doesn't hold a candle. You know, like we kind of constantly have to prove our worth as a country and it just comes from I mean, insecurity and, and I mean, just like a national insecurity that we're going to be found out. But guess what? America's not that great. <laughs> you know, we got what? How many billions of dollars in debt? Immigration problem. I mean, it's just like, just like any other country. Yeah. But when you consistently paint yourself as like, uh, you know, manifest destiny and we're the greatest and no one can touch us and we don't lose anything. You know, that's, that's a hard, uh, banner to carry after a while yep so i really like a perspective you brought up of how david fought goliath because the enemy was against god and how most of your enemies and most of our enemies are people that have done something against us but it just made me think of how often we focus on what's been done against us or someone we love rather than what that person or like that entity has done against God mm-hmm. and how that doesn't even, that doesn't even phase me. No. Oh. And that should be something we think about, but it's all just about us and the people we love and the people that are close to us. So that was, I thought that was cool. All right. Now this, this is kind of an odd question ask it anyways why does jesus bring up the sun and rain it just seems like he just throws it in there i you know the only what i i guess what i compare it to is um ecclesiastes and just everybody's fate is the same you know it doesn't really matter whether you're rich or whether you're poor or whether you're good or whether you're evil um I guess ultimately your fate's not the same, but it, I don't know. It, yeah. I'm at a loss for words. <laughs> I think the first thing I thought of when I read this this afternoon actually was that God's an impartial God, and that just because you're evil or just or unjust, you still, hold on, I lost my train of thought. 
I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, he sees their act and he sees, like, their unjust act and their just act, but I lost it. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> you're going gonna to have to answer this one, Cam? Well, no, I mean, yeah, because I'm always right. Let's, that's, it might come back. No, I mean, I remember reading it the first time. It's just like, it just seems really odd that he would throw. Like, we haven't talked about agriculture in a while, like, or astronomy. Like, but then, you know, I, I read, I think, a little bit in the R.C. Sproul commentary, which, I don't know, it's all right. But he made the point that, you know, just because that God's benevolence is not dependent upon your goodness or your evilness. Like, God provides the rain and the sun to the farm, regardless of whether or not you're above board as a businessman or you're shady. Whether you treat people with respect or you screw them at every chance you get. Like, God directs the rain and the sun on the evil and the good regardless of their moral standing, right? So his goodness, his provision for life is not dictated by your ethics or your morals. It's dictated based solely upon what he chooses to do. And so if God, and this gets to the end verse, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. If God is benevolent and gives life and provides for all people, whether they're good or evil, if we are to be like God, then our benevolence and our goodness and our mercy and our giving should be given to our neighbors or the people around us, regardless of whether or not they are good or evil to us. That's what I got from the little bit of Red and Sproul and then some thinking well, if we really are supposed to be perfect like God is, and if Christ is going to allow us to be like that, then, you know, whatever our sun and rain is, whatever that means for us to give life and to provide um, benefit to those around us, then we need to do that regardless of how we feel about that person or how they treat us, you know. It's like the whole treat others as you want to be treated yourself. Like, you always want to treat yourself well. It doesn't matter they suck like you, you're still supposed to treat them <laughs> the way that you want to be treated so that's how i that's where i was trying to take my thought so thank you for saying it much more eloquently than i did oh you're welcome that's too it's gravitational pull which is everything it's just getting thing. bigger as i look at it it is these headphones don't fit anymore <laughs> that's not going to make a whole lot of sense without a visual <laughs> I have a really large head. That's, that's the joke. It's it's really big. I have a really thick neck because I have a really big head. It's, it's huge. Yeah. Thanks, sister. So, moving on. Uh, and this is, I mean, this is meant to not be an open-ended. Well, no. Never mind. It's open-ended. What are some practical ways we can show the love of God to our enemies or persecutors? By open-ended, I meant like... There's a million contexts represented right. in this question. So maybe we take this like in a very specific like mold um, without necessarily naming names or providing too much detail as to give away the situation. Maybe 
we could think of what's a practical way that we could show the love of God to someone that we would consider an enemy or persecutor in our lives. Like, what would be a practical way to do that? Which, one, I think would benefit us, but also might help the listeners um, with a similar situation in their life. I'm not going first. <laughs> You're not going. That was good. I, I think... Um... Some people may not see it this way, but I think prayer is a very practical way uh, that we can do that. And it, it it could be taken, you know, a time of the day or a month, a day of, of the month and praying for, you know, very real uh, enemies in the terms of what we think of the enemy with ISIS or, you know, something like that <clears throat> and focusing on that. I think the second thing is, is just day in and day out praying for those people that we think have wronged us instead of holding a grudge and wishing for the worst for them. Um, so that to me would be, um, a beginning of that sort of shift in what our focus is. Uh, and then I guess for me, um, there's an element of just thinking about, um, not being so focused on how I've been wronged by somebody but kind of trying to do it with the idea of what is this person done or person? Yeah. What is this person done to, um, wrong God? And then truly just focus on praying the best for them and praying for their salvation and praying, you know, for things that would come, uh, from the heart if we really loved that person. Um, so I, I guess that would be my, you know, is prayer would be my first sort of practical thing of doing that. And there's, like you said, there's many different facets for how that would look. I'm trying to think of a specific situation. my job considered an enemy <laughs> pray for my my job that I get a new one that would be nice yeah I just I think the most practical thing aside from prayer which is very I mean and as, as ethereal and mysterious as prayer is it's it's still a very tangible thing right like you have to think to do it. You have to focus. Like you have to make an effort. Like there are some very tangible things about prayer that make it an easy thing to uh, know that you're doing. You know, um, but I think that. Uh, oh my gosh! Did I just forget what I was going to say? You guys have cursed me. <laughs> um, oh, is to be very aware of your motivations when you are in those situations with someone that you would consider an enemy for and and I, I I think that being aware of your motivations is way easier than we make it out to be. I think we are really good at justifying or just looking the other way. Like we know when we're being mean. We know when we're trying to humiliate somebody. We know when we're trying to get the best of somebody. We know that's going on. We just in the moment believe that it's got okay thing to do. Um, or we can justify it or whatever. Um, so I think that along with prayer, 
Um, when we know that we're in a situation with someone or someones who um, we would view as an enemy, that we need to take the courage to really examine why am I, am I about to say this? What is the motivation behind why I'm thinking that um, before we speak? Because how we speak, or what we speak, how we speak, and how we communicate with those people in those situations is going to communicate an incredible amount about who we are and who God is. And if we can return evil, or sorry, return good for evil, and if we can um, show them that Christians are going to respond differently the non-Christians in those situations, they're, they're going to notice, right? Um, and that's really the hope that we have, is that we pray for their salvation, we pray for their repentance, but we also give them opportunities to see the gospel reaction in, in real life. And that's, you know, if, if they're paying attention, they're going to realize, wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what I was expecting they want to go into a verbal fight and you don't go there with them most people know when they say something it's going to instigate a response and if you don't give them the response they're gonna mm, wait a minute that's how that wasn't supposed to happen now i can't make the great point that i was going to make because dave didn't let me he subverted the the conversation um so i just i think the awareness of motivations and the awareness of the situation that you're in go a long way in helping you um, respond in a Christ-like way. Um, not always. Sometimes our anger gets the best of us. But if we are if we are conscious of that, then I think we've got if we, if we give the Holy Spirit a second, it'll take it, you know? We have to be willing to just it's not about me about me so hopefully that helps you got anything rich yeah my first thoughtful response in situations like that when i am face to face with whoever my enemy is at the moment is to kill them with kindness which is a very cliche saying but yeah i don't like it <laughs> it's best for what i'm trying to but it's still a bad thing. But I, my anger gets the best of me a lot more than it should. But that's human. You're, you're Scottish. <laughs> I'm Scottish. <laughs> yeah, they don't have any conflict up there at all, do they? None. <laughs> um, so once I kind of can t take a step back and let my anger or my rashness subside a little bit, I can go or I attempt to go back in and be as kind to them and as, I don't like the word nice because it can mean so many different things, but as welcoming to them as I can because if I respond in that way, like you said, 
they'll see a different reaction than what they were expecting and step back and maybe not, they won't be able to go where they wanted to go. They'll have to like think about what just happened and why I reacted in the way I did rather than it escalating into this full-fledged verbal war where we just tear each other down. All right, I just thought of a question while we were... It's not on the list, guys. <laughs> Uh-oh. We're going rogue here. Okay, so Satan's name is the enemy, right? Does this mean that we are supposed to pray for Satan? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Like, <laughs> I'm going to say no. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say no. <laughs> I think his, his is... That's his, between him and God. His fate and, is sealed. His fate is sealed, and yeah, yeah. I don't know if there's any hope for him. I mean, my minus reaction is, "What good's he gonna do?" Because we already know how it all ends. But I'm gonna reserve judgment on that one for a while. Because my minus reaction was, "Of course not. He's (laughs) Satan." (laughs) I don't know. We'll. uh... That's a really good question. That's like it was like one of those dumb philosophy questions that you can just like you know write books on and books on and books on. I'm gonna ask Doctor Spiegel when I get back to campus. Ooh, do that and then tell him to listen to the podcast. Okay. <laughs> hey, Doctor Spiegel, what's up, man? <laughs> Probably don't remember who I am. That's okay. I only had one of your classes. It was too hard for me, so I stopped taking them. Uh, all right, so I'm gonna go ahead and say that Jesus is not speaking in hyperbole when he says, "Be perfect as your Father is perfect." Agree or disagree? Um, I think he's being dead serious. I think that's a... Yeah. Yes, I think it's... I don't think it's hyperbole. I agree with you. I just don't like it. Well, that's fair. What, you don't like that you agree with me? Or you don't like that, <laughs> you don't like that Jesus wants us to be perfect? I don't like that I agree with you. <laughs> and I don't like that he tells us to be perfect. Yeah, right. Not much has changed then. Okay. So... If he's not speaking in hyperbole, which I think is a pretty safe assumption here, how in the world are we supposed to take the be perfect as your father is perfect? College senior, what say you? I say... We can try as hard as we want, but that will never work. But if we have Jesus in us and the Spirit dwelling within us, then I think being perfect in God's eyes is very achievable. And in that sense, I feel like we can be perfect as the Father is. But if we try to do it on our own, we just fail miserably all the time. Kind of like Sisyphus. <laughs> Man. Dave, what about you? I, I I think it's I think it's that is what the expectation is. I think the expectation is to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect because um that is I mean that's ultimately what it it requires is it requires for us to be perfect. And so that is the expectation and Ideally, God wants us to be that. He is. That's his desire for us. That's his hope for us. The reality is 
we can't we can't do that and that is why you know christ died on the sin and died died on the cross on the cross for our sins atonement you know so yeah atonement. Um, that old nutshell <laughs> um so yeah so I, I you know i believe that you know jesus took our place and and that he, that through him we are able to be perfect but with that aside i think that was the expectation is for us to be perfect it's just it requires him dying on the cross for us to be that that way because we can't makes you feel real good doesn't it uh yeah so yeah i think i mean if you if you kind of view um like matthew 5 as a as a subset like one one part of the whole of the Sermon on the Mount and this kind of being like the concluding thought to that part. Um, and you look back at all the things that, that Jesus has talked about in Matthew 5, um, you know, being uh, the, the Beatitudes and his thoughts on anger and lust and adultery and divorce and, and um, letting your, you know, having integrity of what you say you're going to do and, and all of these things. And he's taking the, the Old Testament law and revealing the spirit behind it um, and calling us to live lives that um, meet that high bar. And frankly, I'm glad God has a high bar. Yeah. Like, uh, Christianity would not be nearly as compelling to me if it was, yeah, just try your hardest. Do more good than evil, you'll be fine. Here are the five pillars, do these yeah, things. As long, and... as long as there's more good than evil at the end, you're like... No, because I'm I I tend to uh, trend towards the bar. Like if if people have high expectations of me, yes. I tend to do better. I try uh, harder. I think deeper. I have motivation to reach the bar, um, and and I mean that's just my own character flaws. Um, but to me, God setting the the standard of. You must be perfect as, as I am perfect. Yeah, it's frightening because I know like I'm not. But at the same time, if if what the Bible says is true and if the Holy Spirit is in me and Jesus is continuing his good work in me until completion, then I don't need to feel the burden mm -hmm. of that. Like, you know, Dallas Willard says all the time, he always brings up the easy yoke. Like, yes. The, the easy yoke of Christ is that he has done the hard work. He is going to continue to do the hard work of changing us. Uh, and if we are willing to see things from his perspective and see that what he says is true, then we are going to be pulled toward perfection as Christ continues to work in us. And it's not because I'm trying hard. It's not because I'm at 17 Bible studies. It's not because I volunteer at the church. It's because what God says is true. That, that Christ died for us so that He we could be perfect in Christ. And so I think it's almost kind of like a promise at the end. Like, you know, I've, I've laid out the high bar. I've, I've shown you the error of your ways. Mm-hmm. I've shown you that you can't get there by yourself. Now just trust in me to get you there. Follow me. Do what I say. Trust that it's true, and I will I will get you 
to the promised land. Um, and so, I, I mean, yeah, it's it's really intimidating if you view it from the I've got to achieve that sort of perspective. But if you view it from like, well, it's already kind of done. <laughs> you know, uh, Christ has already accomplished it. It's just a matter of us catching up. It still scares me because I know that Christ has a lot of work to do in me and that is kind of like uh, uncomfortable because <laughs> I don't like admit being wrong I don't like to admit being wrong um, or admitting that I have sin or that I'm cocky or any of these things but it's it's more of an encouragement to me now than it ever has been that yeah Christ will present me perfect and blameless before Christ before God like it's gonna happen it's just a matter of time and it may be painful to get there but if I believe what scripture says then bring it on because it's totally going to be worth it um, so that's what I think about it any final thoughts wow that went really fast I know <laughs> that's the fastest that's ever gone I think it's been like an hour is that not normal no, it's normal. It just, no, normal's an hour, but but it it just went by really fast. It went by yeah. quick. Anyways, listener, back to you. I think this is a good place to kill this episode. So, Dave. Yes. If said listener, in parentheses, uh, wanted to get in contact with us, how might they do that? Oh, there are many ways that uh, they can get in contact with us. They can reach us on. Twitter, which is at Masterclass FM. FM. At Masterclass FM. Uh, they can see us on, uh, they can send us an email. So again, MasterclassFM at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to tweet directly to Cam, that's at Cam Brennan. Say it with some confidence, Dave. At Cam Brennan. And Cam Brennan. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was super obnoxious. I'm sorry. And then you can reach me at ten eight HBO. And Ooh, Rachel, what's what's your Twitter handle? Are you on Twitter? I am. <laughs> she doesn't say know. That with much confidence. No, I am. I'm just not on it very often. But it's at rm underscore Brennan. That's at rm underscore Brennan. All right. <laughs> And then you can go directly for the show notes at masterclassfm.com slash masterclass slash 10. Yes, and you should go to the show notes this week because there's links to two really good articles that we mentioned. One one much too briefly, but check them out. They'll be labeled in the show. They're well worth a read. And then you can also go there to find out, is there a link there to our Facebook, or our, yeah, Facebook page? Yes. And there'll be instructions on how to win free book yes i'm very happy about that well shall we say au revoir to all of our friends or goodbye because we're in america <laughs> maybe you're in america well we're in the same room so we have to be in the same country i live in the moment rachel okay <laughs> goodbye everybody <laughs> bye <laughs>